So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast where we teach you how to grow your photography business if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com now here's your host ben hartley Hello, everyone. My name is Ben Hartley, and welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Today, episode 10 with the famous Rachel Brenke, better known as the Law Tog. All right, before we jump into this, first, this episode of the SFP Podcast is supported by Fundy Designer. You guys, the most powerful tool, not just design tool, but now selling tool for our business. As well, the Photo Booth Supply Company. You guys, this has helped us passively bring in an extra 25000 a year to supplement our photography business and provide our clients with the best possible photo booth experience available today. Check out these companies, guys. All right, like I said, we have with us Rachel Brenke, the law tog. Rachel is the legal source for photographers. You guys, with over 50 business protection tools and guides to help assess your photography business, uh, protect it. Um, I mean, ultimately, uh, create a bubble of amazingness over your company. You may have seen her on Creative Live, WPPI, or any other major like photography event. The Law Tog is there, you guys. Uh, honestly, this is a huge gift and treat to be able to have her on today's podcast. Rachel's going to be answering questions today on the legal side of running your photography business. This is so important. Let's jump right in. Hey, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I am just excited to talk. I mean, we just have, we have a ton to get into. We've got a ton of questions. Uh, but just for starters, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's beautiful weather. It's almost the holidays, and I'm ready to spend some time with family because it's been an awesome year. Very cool. This might be a silly question. Are you like a Christmas person or a Thanksgiving person? I'm like a Christmas the day after Halloween person. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a fair answer. That's no, a- I love Thanksgiving. Um, I love both of them equally, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am way more of a Christmas person. I don't know anybody who's a Thanksgiving person over Christmas. But the thing is I'm allergic to Turkey. So Thanksgiving kind of is a little sketch for me. Oh yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I am so sorry for your loss. That is, I know, right? <laughs> that is so terrible. Oh my gosh, girl. Okay. So let's, let's jump in on this. I just want to know a little bit more of your backstory. Like how did you get started with the law talk? I've 
dating and business consultant oh, going on about 10 years now. And then I went to law school and I'd actually been doing some photography along the way as kind of a supplemental service for my consulting clients at the same time. And it, that's actually the photography that I primarily do now is more commercial type work. Uh, but I did portrait, a good run of portraiture for a while. But anyways, during law school, um, I had actually gone to law school intending to be a child sex crimes prosecutor. And that's something I still like absolutely is like near and dear to my heart. So I volunteer with CASA and do things like that. But when I came out the other side of law school, um, you know, a lot of people have been asking me because they knew I was a photographer and they knew I was a business consultant, uh, but they had all these legal questions. And so it kind of is like everything came together and the law talk was born and that's what I'm doing. And I love it. And it's amazing. Um, I mean, I, I just can't, I just can't believe, honestly, it sounds so cliche. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I can't believe that this is my job. <laughs> That's awesome. So now with the law talk taking up so much of your time, are you still shooting? I am. Uh, it's funny because it goes in different ways. Um, I'll get really high amounts of legal and consulting work, um, primarily with photographers, around the end of the year to the beginning of the year. And then as you guys start going to get more busy working on your business, is actually when I start doing a lot of local commercial work, headshots and marketing material shots for local businesses. So it's a good crossover for me to also get injected into my local community, not just online. Nice, nice. So then for those of you out there listening who, who aren't familiar with your work, Rachel, can you describe a little bit more about like the type of work that you prefer to shoot? I actually love glamour. I own a photography studio here in Virginia, uh, which was intended to be a glamour boudoir uh, studio, and it still is utilized that way now. Uh, but I do... So a portion of it is the glamour stuff. Another portion is just headshots, um, stuff that people can utilize on their websites and marketing materials for their business. Awesome. Very sweet. Okay. So, I mean, we're going to jump right in because it's not that often that we have someone uh, with your skill set, with your knowledge, with your expertise on this show, and we need to take it as, as much advantage of this as possible. Um, so one thing that uh, I just want to kind of get out there is just to begin the conversation of why is it important to actually invest in protecting ourselves? I guess what I mean to say is we as photographers may, I don't know, I think that we often think like, eh, it won't happen to me. You know, like everyone out there is listening. They're like, oh, this is great. They got Rachel on there, the law dog, but it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> why is it important for us to invest in protecting in ourselves? Well, it's actually funny you say it like that because I actually don't want any of you guys to need me. And the reason I say that is my entire mission with the law dog is prevention, not clean up on aisle four. Um, I have made a choice not to be a litigation attorney. I think that once you get to the messy part of issues, it's not just hard from a business and legal standpoint, but for me, I'm very, like, I'm creative. So I'm very emotionally tied to the clients that I also have, and I don't like seeing them go through the time and pain and, race, you know, spending of money and everything for when there's an issue. Um, I'd rather them take all these measures and protect themselves up front. Uh, so that that's kind of a little bit selfishly for me. Um, I don't want you guys to come to me, you know, for, you know, when it's time to clean up. I will help you if you need it, but I really want you guys to pre prevent and protect from issues occurring. One of the big things that um, I always talk about a lot in the law talk is not just legal stuff. I like to pair it with a lot of business efficiency and communication, customer service, you know, and marketing stuff with our clients and how to handle clients because that may not be legal, but it can prevent legal 
issues. And really, I guess in my long-winded fashion, to answer the question is what is the point in us building this, spending all this time and money when you could be just going to work a nine-to-five and at the end of the day not have to worry about anything when you come home? Why are we spending all these hours as business owners, entrepreneurs, in time if we're not going to protect it from getting hurt or being gone one day? It makes everything for nothing if because it may end up happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm going to go back just for a quick second because even though your answer was long-winded, I loved every second of of it. So especially, I love what you said about uh, about communication and how mm-hmm. communication does. It's not it's not necessarily illegal, but my goodness, if there's anything that I think can help <laughs> protect yourself from, from encountering these things apart from actually the the legally tight things, it's just keeping keeping the communication strong and solid and consistent. Uh, timely. Anyhow, it's just great advice. Well, no, it's good because that's actually one of the things that I really try to impress upon people is that contracts are not just protection tools. And I'm just picking that out of like the legal toolbox. But contracts are not just protection tools. They're great. They're what people are going to look to if you ever have an issue. But they can prevent issues. They get everyone on the same page. They can. Um, I like to call the contract the no man. They can be the no man while I'm the yes man. You know, I get to be the fun loving one that's with the client, but I'm allowed to, I can pass the responsibility of enforcing my policies through the contract. So that contract can tell the client no for me if the contract's pushing, you know, the envelope on certain things and I really don't want to be maybe taken advantage of or whatever. Um, and so, I, and you can also use it as a customer service tool because anything in your contract, unless it's legally required, you know, by law in your state, you can choose this is your business you're the business owner you can choose how long it is going to be until you deliver the gallery or people have to order or your completion schedule you get to choose this stuff and so you can also utilize the contract to be not just the communication not just the legal protection uh, but to offer customer service in that say hey um, and I had a portrait for a client one time with this. Um, she didn't order by a certain date. And this is before in-person sales for me. Uh, but she didn't order by a certain date because her husband had just come from home from Iraq. And I could have held her to the contract, but I decided to take the stance of customer service. And I waived the archival fee on the gallery. And, you know, and, I, and I gave her some more time. I pointed that out to her. And it just was a great customer service thing. And I actually think that was the moment that I realized, oh, my gosh, contracts are way more than all of this other stuff. Like we have all these benefits um, and it's protecting me, but it's giving me this other stuff too. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. So I guess I now want to ask you like, why do you think so many photographers go wrong with legal issues? I've got my suspicions, but I want to hear from someone who actually is an expert on this before you just hear me kind of like make a guess. But yeah, why do you think so many photographers go wrong? I think it's a couple things. I think the first one is they don't know what they don't know, which is why the law talk is there. Um, they ask questions. I think I, 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 I laugh at myself cause I feel like this is where I was at one point. They know enough to be dangerous to try to find the information, but then they get overwhelmed with misinformation or just information in general. So they just shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I get it. It's totally, the law is not easy to pick through, which is, that's why I'm here. That's my job. Uh, but first is they don't know what they don't know. Uh, and then the second thing actually goes back to the communication before almost every single problem that I see come through my, um, to my firm of issues could have been remedied or prevented through communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, one of my major things I blogged about this recently is that legal action should be your last line of defense last. And people think me as a lawyer, I would say that should be first. 
Um, and I think that's one of the reasons they think, oh, you know, here's a legal issue. We need to go to legal stuff. No, talk to your client. You know, there's all these other things that you can go through to diffuse, you know, like put the fire out before you actually get there. Yeah, very nice. So I guess let's say that um, uh, we're starting a studio, right? There's someone who's listening and and they're just deciding to maybe to go full time or or to start this business up. What are what are some things that um, every photographer or that photographer should be doing to protect their business from like day one? I kind of call this the legal trinity. I don't know if that's a good term, to use, <laughs> but it's basically I think of it more in layers of an onion. Um, I always think of Shrek. I mean, you and I both have kids. So the Shrek movie where he talks about layers of an onion. And that's what I think of when it's protection. Protection does not just come from just a contract or just this or just insurance. Like it comes from a multitude of things. And so my three in that trinity, those layers, are the business formation choice that you choose, whether you're a sole proprietor, LLC, corporation. Mm -hmm. The other one is a liability insurance Mm -hmm. policy. Um, And then the last is the contracts. And the contract is actually the outer layer for all the reasons we kind of just talked about a little bit ago. It can be the no man. It can be the communication. You can always say per the contract, it said this. It can clear up miscommunications with your clients. Um, Then if they get through that, that does not settle things, then you can, if there's an issue, liability insurance is there. And then if there's still an issue, you end up in court, your, your formation, uh, you know, your LLC, your corporation structure could try to protect your assets a little bit more. So those are kind of the three major things that I want people to look at when they're even, if they're just starting out or they've been in business for 10 years. You, these are things that you don't just do at the very beginning and check off the box for you do it but then you need to kind of have a yearly review has my business changed have I grown so much that I need to increase the amount of liability insurance or what are some client issues I had in the last year that I need to make sure that I try to prevent in my contract and so it's it's actually a living breathing type of um process you know if you will yeah, absolutely. I love uh, doing this podcast because I my like my gears already turning and I'm more I'm already like shoot I gotta get to work on a few more things. <laughs> like I've got I've got the Trinity, but I think I need to I think I need it's that time I need to review it. I need to see mm-hmm. do, do I need to up my liability insurance? You know, these type of things. So um, and there's other working parts with that. Those are just the three main ones that I really think people should look at because other things can build after that. Yeah, for sure. This might be a similar question, but are there any documents that you feel like every photographer should have? I mean, obviously a contract. Outside of the contract, is there anything else that you think we should be implementing to protect ourselves? I mean, if you take a look at the law talk, I have so many available out there and it's because there's so many working parts. Depending on the type of photography you are, your specific business policies, you know, what you want, how you want to set up. Again, we're the business owner. We get to do this. We get to set, you know, what we want to do within the law and how we want to do it. And so for me, I actually think of it in a client timeline. It's a little long, so I want to make it real quick for you. But at the very beginning, you have the client come in the door. You want to have the main contract. And this is going to be the one that actually creates the legal relationship between you and the client. You have this on commercial side. You have this on portrait side. You even have this when you do model calls. Um, and you're may not be paid for it. There's going to be a transfer of something, whether it's the modeling for you and you're giving files or print credit or something. Um, so you've got the main contract that gets the people in the door that gets you booked. And then the second one that kind of goes along with it is the model release. My rule of thumb is you can always shoot without a, 
stick with me on this. You can always shoot without a model release, but you should never shoot without a contract. The reason for that is if you look at what's included in these two documents, uh, the model release is really giving you, the photographer, permission uh, to use their these images in a commercial sense, you know, promoting your business, your portfolio, and so forth. Now, you can shoot, and this is a big myth I hear a lot of people say all the time, oh, I can't shoot unless I have a model release. That's not true. You can photograph people all day long without a model release. Just that there's no language in the contract or there's no model release signed, you can't utilize it, generally, uh, to promote your photography business. And so I just wanted to kind of clear that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's the main contract in model release. Anything else after that is going to depend on your own specific business um, and what you do. Some people do gallery sales. Some sell digital. Some do in-person sales. Um, and there's a whole plethora of things within that. I mean, like digital images would need a print release because you're giving them a personal print license. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be, well, and like on the commercial side, I give commercial licenses for use and have how they can use those images um, in, mar- in commercial and uh, uses. And other ones would be uh, payment plan contracts. If you're going to have them do a payment plan with you, uh, final sales so that they know that this is it. When we leave out of this in-person sales session, there is no changing. I am cashing that check and this is done. Uh, all the way through, I mean, there's a couple other ones, but these are really just nice to have and so depends on your business. But I always like to end with a product delivery agreement. And that helps to protect photographers um, because you could deliver digital files or large cost of good albums or, you know, wall displays. Um, and you drop it off at the client, the client's all happy. You leave and all of a sudden they're upset because they claim something was damaged. Um, I like to have that form in place, especially when it's a high dollar value to say, well, actually you inspected. And again, even with all of these in place, we talked about customer service a little bit ago, you still can take actions for customer service. So just cause they sign and say, Hey, this is final sale. If they came back, you could decide whether you're going to allow them to remove or add to their order. Or like with the product issues, say there was a bent album corner. Well, you know, you as a business owner can decide. While you may legally have the document saying everything's good, you can decide, you know, am I going to replace that album? That's up to you. Yeah, awesome. You brought up something that I have actually been thinking a little bit about and I wanted to ask you a question about, and that was in regards to offering payment plans. Do you have any tips on offering payment plans for for something like a higher priced uh, mm-hmm. you know album or, or wall art or something like that? A, a way to actually go about doing that for your couples or yeah. for your client, I should say. <laughs> no, well, and I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to split this out between um, weddings. Kind of already have this payment plan up front. Um, they've got you know you've got your retainer in most. Photograph, wedding photographers that I know take certain portions, certain times leading up to the wedding. Um, and my recommendation for those type of plans, uh, and, and typically that's laid out in the contract because that gets you booked. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that gets you, that gets the client onto your calendar. Uh, so my recommendation is to have all the monies ahead of time. That's industry standard at this point. But when I really mentioned payment plan, it's kind of like what you just said. If they're going wanting to buy into large um, value items, I don't think that it's good from a business perspective to come out the gate thinking, okay, you know, oh yeah, Miss Jane, you can have a you can have a payment plan. I would rather get all my money at one time, get, you know, walk out that door, order the wall art, deliver it, get that agreement signed, cash my check and be everyone be happy. Um, because payment plans are great only and I call it an ace in a sleep. Don't only have it available. Go into a sales session in your mind 
what is the minimum amount you're going to allow them to payment plan? You know, how much you're going to require down? How long are the terms going to be? And actually, a payment plan contract, really, if you have one available and ready in your briefcase, ready to pull out, all of it can do it for you. Remember, it can be the no man. It can be the not so happy. These are the terms no matter what. Um, and, but it also guides you. So when you're in that situation, especially if you're not a confident salesperson, uh, you, you can, you know, refer to that and it has all those terms listed for you. But for me, like I just said, I don't go in saying I'm going to offer it. Um, I will only go in and see what they're interested in, try to get them to, you know, the certain collection amounts. But if they start adding on high dollar value items, I start thinking in my mind, okay, at what point am I going to pull this out and use this as an ace, you know, so I can save the sale? Uh, the reason is I don't want to do it up front is a lot of times people don't necessarily need it. And it brings a lot of administrative and legal oversight. It can become quite a pain. You know, do you order the products when you only have when you have amount to cover that cost of goods or is it when it's? paid in full. I recommend paid in full. Um, but it, it just is cleaner that way, you know, yeah. but it just becomes, it, it's not even so much a legal thing. It's just more of a business efficiency administrative. Do you have to keep up with them to have them pay? Because even if you have an automated payment processor, they may, their cars still may decline. Well, you're going to have to play that unhappy dance of getting in their inbox or their phone and saying, Hey, you know, this isn't, you just have to weigh, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, for me, the sale has to be a really high dollar amount to really make it worth it for me. Yeah, for sure. Do you offer uh, a payment plan kind of, of outline or contract on your site? Of course. Sweet. I will see you later on your uh, sales page. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so this next set of questions, this is something that I really wrestled with this. Um, so I, at what point... It's a, it's a, this is a two-step two question. At okay. what point is it important to start thinking about all this legal stuff um, is, is kind of one part of the question. But I guess the, the real root of it is when does your hobby become a business? Oh, I hate that question. Well, you know, like for me, I was like I was working another job and I was just kind of like, yeah, I'll go like take some pics and see what happens. And, you know. Well, you're not alone. Actually, I think the majority of people, especially recently in the industry that I've talked to, that's how it is. They're not sure if it's going to make it work. And they wake up one day and they're like, whoa, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, you know? Um, so what point do they need to start thinking about it? Honestly, from a lawyer's perspective, from the very beginning, from a business perspective, from the very beginning, from a reality perspective, most people wait until they realize that they're actually doing it. Um, and so I think as long as they have in the peripheral knowing, hey, I need to get the legal trinity down and working towards that. Because you may not be able to come out the gate affording, you know, contracts and the formation fees and insurance and everything. So as long as you are making strides towards it, yeah, it's great to have all that up front. But as long as you're making strides toward it, um, that's way better than those who are completely turning a blind eye. Uh, but Again, it's kind of like with the same question, when does your hobby become a business? Well, there's IRS, you know, out, guidelines and state uh, regulations out there that specifically spell out um, when does your hobby become a business. For me, from a just from a more clean cut, I try to make <laughs> I try to make the law very black and white when we can, but it's always erring on the side of caution. Um, and so for me, if you are putting yourself out like a business, you're taking money like a business, you're marketing like a business, you're a business. So while the IRS may say, even though you're in the red, you may still be considered a hobby or, you know, unprofitable. For me, if you're acting like one, that's when you need to be worried about all this legal stuff. 
Very cool. It's so it's so funny. So uh, I don't know, like four years ago, I called into like a radio law show. <laughs> it was like it was some like Sunday morning like law talk radio show, and I called in and I asked this question, and their answer was pretty much the exact same as yours. So that's reassuring. Um, you should start a radio show on Sunday mornings. Is what you should do. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. So I, I've got another question in regards to this whole like timing thing. Um, at what point do you recommend having a client sign a contract? Like what I mean is sometimes I'll have a client who they haven't even chosen their package yet or their choice. I'm a wedding photographer. And so let's say they haven't Mm -hmm. chosen their package. I haven't assembled it all. Does it make sense for them to sign a contract at that point when there's been no decision made as far as how much they're going to be paying? Ideally, it's best to have everyone on the same page, clean cut, all on the same document ahead of time. Um, But that being said, even if you booked them for a certain package, if they wanted to make spend more money on you later, I'm not going to tell you to tell them no because they already signed it. Um, So, well, let let me back up for a second. I guess at what point should a client sign a contract? For me. I don't put anybody on my calendar until I have a non-refundable retainer and a contract. Mm-hmm. Unless you're my mom because you gave me life. And <laughs> it is what it is. It's funny because I was thinking about that when I was on my way to talk to you. My dad texted me. and was like, hey, I need new headshots. And I was like, well, he's not mom. So should I make him sign a contract and, <laughs> and all of that? And I was like, no, he might get me. But, but that's really, if you're, even if you are my best friend, um, contract and money is just what gets you on the calendar. But again, you just threw a little wrench in there. Is it once they decide on the package? Well, based on the contract language, you could have that open-ended. I think for weddings, it's a little more difficult. For me, if I'm shooting a glamour um, uh, one, I could have enough money to cover my time and everything, you know, and then they can decide on maybe a collection later or at in-person sales session. For weddings, it's probably best because if your time's included, you need to know that up front um, because maybe depending on what your collections are, there's, they're all over the place in the industry. So I'm, I'm trying to think generally here, uh, but you may need to make specific arrangements based on that package and you need enough time. So for me, I would do it as upfront as possible. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. It did. I'm going to, I actually, I've got like a slew of very specific contract related questions. And so I'm just going to keep throwing them at you real hot. Um, are you ready for them? I'm ready. Okay, cool. Online contracts, right? So with like Tave and ShootQ and all these like 10,000 hats or however many hats it is, uh, <laughs> they all, for the most part, have these online contracts. Now, are these online contracts binding? Do they work? Should we feel comfortable using them? As long, assuming that you have all the required elements of a contract, um, which is way beyond what we could talk about, here, but <laughs> sure. assuming that you have all of that, um, contract online contracts are binding for us. We've got the eSign Act in America that allows us to be able to do this. Now, my biggest word of caution, though, for using online systems, and I'm not saying this about any of the names you just said, but just from my experience, there's free systems available out there that don't protect the private information of the clients. You know when they're and putting their information. Um, I stumbled upon this a couple years ago and there was public, there was private client information that was Google searchable. Mm. Um, and for me, I, all I could think about was as a client, would this make me comfortable? And so it's not a legal thing. So yeah, the legal contract's binding, but make sure with whatever system you're utilizing that they have the supports and security in place. Because we have, as business owners, have a duty, if they, even if there isn't a legal 
um, requirement in your state. And there are some states that do, but um, we have a ethical duty, I think, to protect that client information. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this maybe I'm maybe I'm speaking on uh, just for myself, but I have a feeling I'm not. I think that there's a lot of photographers out there who maybe we get a little forgetful, maybe we get a little lazy with our documents, mm-hmm. right? Especially when it's online, right? So we send our client the online contract and they sign it. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, at least for me, I often forget to go back and sign it myself. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, uh, are we creating um, a problem for ourselves? Let's say that the client signs it and then like six months go by and we shoot the event and there's a problem and I hop online and I scramble and I go sign it. <laughs> is, right, is that, but at this point, like, you know, there's a timestamp on it. Like, I see why you asked me to come on. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. I think, no, I think this is a question that a lot of photographers, even if they're not aware of it, I think think that there's a lot of people who just get lazy with contracts and they collect them from their clients and then they just file them away and they don't really sign them or pay mm-hmm. attention to it. So well, they don't even file it away at all. See that happen a lot. Yeah. Right. We just set it on the kitchen counter and you know, the dog chews it up. Um, it, are, are we like, um, are we screwing ourselves by not signing at the same time? Well, see, this is the thing. Like I mentioned a little bit ago, the law is very gray, which was very hard for me going to law school because I'm a very black and white type of individual. And so, but this is one of those areas that the gray actually helps us in a way uh, because when it comes to a situation, and actually we're kind of circling back around to the communication stuff we said at the very beginning. Um, if there's ever an issue, a contract is going to be kind of that main point that a court will look at. They're going to look and see, okay, because it's a meeting of a mind. You guys agreed to the terms. You know, that's what you were intending to enter into. However, that being said, they're going to look at totality of the circumstances. So your example that you gave, um, like, uh, I just didn't sign it and send it back. But I'm assuming you continue to communicate with the bride. You may have met for a pre-consultation. You may have done an engagement session. You showed up and shot the wedding of the day and she didn't make you go away. All of those type of circumstances to- totally are probably going to weigh in favor of, okay, they really did intend for this to be a legit, legit binding contract. So the mere fact that you're not signing, eh, I, I could, I could make a good argument. Of course I could argue anything, <laughs> but I would make a good argument that with everything else, it was a reasonable person would believe that you guys intended for that to be bound, you know, yeah. bound with one another. Yeah, for sure. Awesome advice. Awesome. Okay. So I reached out to the six figure audience and I asked them, do they have any questions? And, um, kind of did like a little poll here. One of the questions that I kept seeing come up mm-hmm. is in regards to who signs the contract because mm-hmm. as wedding photographers, mom and dad are, are often paying for this thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's like a senior shoot, uh, assuming that they're over 18, <laughs> right? you know, uh, let's go back to the wedding. Maybe that's an easier one. Um, does the bride and groom sign the contract or does the person who is paying sign it? Who the heck signs this thing? Okay. Well this, we could probably talk for an hour on this, but I'll try <laughs> to keep it short. It, it really does depend. And I hate giving that response. Um, my personal recommendation is whoever is signing needs to be the person paying. Hmm. Um, and really, I like prefer it to be the bride and groom. So if daddy wants to pay, then you guys need to do your backdoor exchange of your money and bring it to me. I don't want to know about it. Just bring it to me. The reason for that is, okay, so the people that sign the contract are your legally bound clients. That's who you have a connection to at that point. But if, so bride and groom sign it, great. 
if mom and dad come along, daddy wants to pay for his little girl's wedding, fantastic. Then he hands me a check and I cash it. There's something called um, third party and third party intended beneficiary. Oh, that's kind of going backwards a little bit, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> they may have legal, there may be legal obligations that I have to them because they did demonstrate by paying funds that they wanted to be bound to. And they have uh, rights out of the agreement, even though they didn't sign. Um, what I was going to say on the flip of that, you may also, if it's completely with mom and dad, the bride and groom, even if they don't sign and pay anything, they may be considered the third party beneficiaries of that contract that you had with mom and dad. So that's why I'm saying either it's just clear cut to whoever's on the contract. I want uh, me as a, and I recommend is that person who also pays because it's whether it's between you and the bride and groom dad pays or you may have, you know, duties to dad. If you sign with mom and dad, but then the bride and groom are getting the benefit of the uh, contract, they may, you may have responsibilities to them as well. Now to throw a kink in all of that, if mom and dad do sign, mom and dad do pay mom and dad, assuming the bride and groom are over 18, they can't sign the model release in the name of the bride and groom. Hmm. So they would still need to sign the model release. That is actually bringing full circle to why I say <laughs> the bride and groom or the couple have the couple completely do the contract, the model release, and payment. Again, if they want to switch hands on money, do it on back door. Don't tell me about it. Man, you are a lawyer. That was... Uh, <laughs> Did that make sense? Yeah, you lost me like four times, but then I started to catch back up. I think... <laughs> I hope so. So just just, just remember that if dad, pay, whoever may pay, that you may have rights to them, you know, responsibilities to them. If someone's receiving a benefit of the contract, you may have responsibilities to them as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for that. So um, this may be... I think at this point now of, of talking to you, I clearly know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. A lot of us, we're shooting multiple things, right? We're shooting puppies on Tuesday and babies on Thursday, weddings. <laughs> and then puppies and babies together. <laughs> yeah, that's, absolutely. Um, that's the Friday special. Uh, so do we need separate contracts for each of these different type of things that we're photographing? Like, Or can we just have like this one universal contract that just covers our butts with everything. It's going to depend on what you're doing. Um, I kind of divide it all up into its own little pockets. So if general portraiture under that could fall families, seniors, newborn, toddler, whatever, I kind of feel like those contracts are the most aligned. So you might not legal advice here, guys, you might be okay with a general contract for all of that. Notice I didn't say weddings are commercial under there because those are two completely other different beasts completely. Well, A, commercial is completely different because one's personal portraiture and one's commercial work. Uh, but for weddings, I don't I, – there is so much that goes into a wedding that a standard portrait contract is not going to even start touching the tip of the iceberg. Because um, you're probably not getting fed at your one-hour portrait session or you're not, you know, um, you're not needing to ensure you get certain shots and those sorts of things And um, on a quick event like a wedding is. So that, going back to what I originally said, I think that you can have a general portrait contract for the ones I listed. However, it's not even so much what you call it, it's what's included. Um, so, for example... There's things in like my boudoir contract 
that would not apply whatsoever to a family session. Yeah, I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> you know, so, Mom, put your clothes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Sorry. <laughs> so that's, those are probably like the worst two that I could have chosen for an example. <laughs> uh, but that's why I really think it's best to break them out as much as possible. Um, and like newborns, because a newborn contract is going to do more than just get you shooting. It's also going to prepare the mom for what she needs to do. Does she need to feed the baby 30 minutes ahead, two hours? What do you guys do if the baby is fussy? Do you cancel? All of that is not going to be in a standard general portrait contract. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and that's what I love about your stories. You, you just have so many resources. You have so many uh, documents and contracts and, and forms on there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Okay. This is my favorite part of the show. Ba-da-da-da! Action steps. Okay, one thing I want one great action step from you, Rachel, that uh, someone who's listening right now today, that as soon as this darn podcast is over, they do as soon as they get back home, they pull over on the side of the road, they like take this step. What is what is that one thing that you think our listeners need to do today? Reevaluate. And that actually could go for anything. Uh, but for me, since I'm the law talk, hate to disappoint, has to be legal, I would go and reevaluate that legal trinity. Um, make sure that your has your formation, like has your business grown so much? Do you need a little bit more protection? Would you get a better tax benefit by being a certain formation, LLC, corporation? Um, check your liability insurance policy. Is it the one that you had that just auto-renewed since you started five years ago? Um, well, you probably have maybe a studio by now or a lot more clients. You have a lot more, you know, chances for liability. Um, and then the contracts, making sure that you have a good legally sound contract. And I don't say this because I sell them. I say this because I don't want you in my inbox asking for cleanup on aisle four. I want you guys to be protected. I want you to be shooting. Um, and that was my whole intention of coming out with the law talk in the first place. But go through and make sure that it's legally sound. Make sure that you have everything in there that you want to convey to your clients because it's really a bad taste in the client's mouth um, if you don't tell them a policy until later um, once the issue's already happened. Uh, so that would be my thing is to reevaluate, start with me with the legal trinity, and then you can just trickle that down into business plan, marketing plan, pricing, whatever it is. Very cool. Rachel, where can people find you online? Where can people find some of these documents online and start looking to you for help? Um, it is thelawtog.com. You can also Google Rachel Brinke. I'm the only one in the world. Uh, so there's <laughs> only one of me. Um, and you can get a hold of me anyway. I've got a, a bunch of team members that can assist you guys to help you find resources. Because we have a lot more than just contracts there. We've got business tools, tax guides, a whole bunch of tax guides and tools just came out with um, – tax season coming around here soon. It just, it's, we have so much information that it can be very overwhelming. And like we mentioned earlier, you may not know what you don't know. And so I've trained my team to be able to find these resources for you guys. We have years of articles, years of webinars, videos, and we'll help you out. Awesome. TheLawTog.com. Rachel, thank you so much. I love that. Yes. And if you type it into Google uh, this week, it'll make that noise. It's an update that they've done. We worked something out. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for, uh, for your time and for like your generous, your honest, generous feedback and advice. Um, this has been, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much, girl. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. If you guys need anything, just reach out and let me know. Yeah, definitely. And my big caveat maybe I should say is I think I've read this on your website or in an email from you. You guys, while Rachel is a lawyer, she is not your lawyer. Take everything with a grain of salt here. And just if you need to actually hire, go hire this girl, man. Okay. Very cool. Um, Rachel, thanks again. We will talk soon, girl. Thank you. Thanks. There she is, everyone, Rachel Brenke. I love what Rachel said about protecting yourself first, being proactive so that way you don't have to seek legal counsel. Like She's like, my job is to, to have it be so you don't have to actually contact me or, or any other lawyer. Like That should be your last resort. And as well, just assessing your company's needs. Like You may have been protected by what she called as like the holy trinity of legal protection, at, at, at stage one of your business, but maybe now you're three years in it and re, uh, kind of reanalyzing where you're at. Have you outgrown where you were before? Anyhow, guys, the show notes are going to contain all the links mentioned below. And uh, I actually just want to pause for a second because Thanksgiving just passed. And I just wanted to say thanks, thanks to you guys. Like a huge thanks to the Six Figure Photography um, community just for listening, for your support, for honestly emailing and asking me questions. You guys may be thinking when you send me an email that you're bugging me or that I won't see it or that I won't respond. You guys, I, I see every email that you send and I try to respond to every single one. And I just want to thank you for reaching out and for those questions and to keep it up. Thanks for everything that you do. Um, I guess from here, go ahead and check out sixfigurephotography.com. You can find more podcast episodes, the blog posts, and honestly, as we're stepping into uh, this new year, uh, take a look at the seven-day course. It's a killer just starting point to get a, a jump start into the new year. Guys, thank you so much. My name is Ben Hartley with Six Figure Photography, and we're going to see you guys in episode 11. Thanks.